Good morning, Eastgate and friends. So glad that you could join us on online today. And uh, may grace and peace be to you in abundance. Since February, we've been studying the original tablet download from the cloud, and uh, aka the Ten Commandments. And today, we're looking at commandments number eight and nine. Uh, so now commandments 8 and 9 are kind of etched into my mind because I still remember the day I broke them. I mean, it was kind of like the first time I had realized that I was a sinner, that I had broken one of the Ten Commandments. Oh, the dreadful guilt of that day. <laughs> I, I still remember and I came to that conclusion that I was a sinner. See, I was seven years old. I was in grade two and I achieved my independence. You see... Every day I had gone to school, I had to take the city bus. But now, after my birthday on the 30th of September, my parents had given me this beautiful new bike. It was a red Mustang-style bike with a banana seat. I loved it. It was amazing. And so I now had this independent. I could go to school, and uh, I could come home when I wanted to, so I could stay with my friends and this kind of thing. So after school, Joey and I were playing marbles, and, uh, and then we started biking home together. Uh, and as we were passing by Blundell Corners, Corners store, another classmate of mine we saw was just coming out of the store, and he was getting on his bike. And when he saw us, he said, hey, guys, you got to check this out. And then he took off on his bike, and we're like, where's he going? So we, we followed him, you know, and he, he, he stopped at a nearby park and, and pulled over by a bench and, and took the... the uh, the lunchbox off his rat trap on the back of his bike and set it on the park bench and then he opened it up. Whoa, we wouldn't believe it. It was packed, jam-packed, full of candy. Just everything you could possibly imagine that you could pick up at a corner store. And we're like, whoa, where'd you get that? And he's at Blundell's, you want some? And he plunges two hands into the bucket and pulls out two big handfuls of candy and passes them to Joey and I. And we're like, whoa, right on. And we're like... Uh, and, and, and I was a little bit like, what's going on here? Um, and so I, I started, I kind of pressed him like, well, how, how, how could you afford so much candy? And he kind of st- stammered and mumbled a little something about his allowance. But it was totally clear he was lying. We knew it by the way that he was saying things, that uh, he wasn't telling the truth at all. And so I'm like, what? Did you steal it? Uh, yeah, do you want some or not? No one's ever going to know. Well, I'd already had the candy and my mind started justifying, you know, well, you didn't steal it. He stole it. Uh, he's given it to me. So, you know, like I'm getting given the candy. It, it's probably okay, you know, like, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I got the candy in my hands and I'm jamming it into my pockets. Now, I don't remember exactly how my mom found the candy, but I'm pretty sure, you know, like mothers, they have this sixth sense about them. They can just figure it out. Somehow, there was all the candy piled up on the kitchen table, and my mom was saying, can somebody explain this candy to me? Uh, Ricky gave it to me. And where did Ricky get it? Uh, From Blundell's. What, the owner just gave it to him? Uh, no, he must have bought it. And how did he pay for it? I don't know. He, he must have an allowance or something. There's some defensiveness starting to creep into my voice. 
So he bought all this with his allowance, my mom says, and then just gave it to you. Well, yeah, me and Joey. You and Joey. Yeah, we, we, we shared it. So you, you, you don't think he stole it? Stole it? No, he said he had extra allowance. Well, we'll just see what Ricky's mom has to say about that. Oh, boy. Hadn't seen that coming. I was caught like a deer in the headlights, you know. You see, the Christian school that I was attending was sponsored by our church. And so all the parents knew each other. Uh, so it didn't take long before there were three little boys standing in front of the owner of the Blundell Corner store trying to explain how we came to possess four, ca- four pounds of candy. <laughs> I'm telling you, the shame and the humility of that day was just unbearable. <laughs> I learned... I learned a little bit about participating in another man's sin that day. I also discovered that one sin leads to another sin. I mean, breaking the thou shalt not steal command was one thing, but it was immediately followed up with breaking the thou shalt not lie. Kind of commands eight and nine. So let's pray and just ask God to guide this time as we discover what God really means by these these. Uh, commands for us living today in the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful that the sin of stealing this candy was forgiven, that the lying about it bluntly to my mother, to her face, was forgiven. Lord, I thank you that down through the ages of my life, I've been forgiven over and over by you. I thank you, Lord, that it's in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that we find forgiveness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open up your scriptures to us today so that we can understand the role that the law has and the role that obedience and following your commands and forgiveness and how it all works together. So, Father, we pray that you would apply these truths to our minds. We pray, Lord, that we would follow in your spirit, that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray that you would anoint me that as I speak your word, that I would speak it in power and in truth. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right off the bat, you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about not stealing and lying? I mean, those of us who have half-decent parents, by the time we were three years old, we pretty much knew that it was wrong to steal and to lie. Uh, and then, you know, if your parents didn't get it right, well, your teachers picked up the slack. And it was, was pretty obvious that uh, by the time you were four or five, that uh, stealing and lying was wrong. Um, and now, the problem is, though, the reason I'm speaking about this is just because we know something's wrong doesn't keep us from doing it, does it? I mean, we know it's wrong to s- steal. It might not be, you know, candy from the corner store, but maybe it's uh, like what I heard of one, of one of my son's friends doing. They buy a child's pass at OC Transpo so they don't have to pay the full fare. They figure, well, nobody actually checks the passes. <laughs> or, or maybe the, the cash income that you conveniently forgot at the last tax time. Um, I like this painting by uh, Leslie Thrasher. She painted it in 1936. It's this woman here. She's buying a chicken, you know, and she's pushing up on the scale very discreetly. And the shop owner is pushing down on the scale very discreetly. And it's, it's hilarious, you know. It's the little things we do to just skim a little off the top here and there. 
you know, maybe taking this or that from work. Or, you know, the other day I was, I remember I was at, uh, uh, at the department store and I was buying a gift for my wife. I was buying her some bowls for Christmas, you know, some stainless steel bowls. And I remember thinking, because I was going to buy four bowls, and two of the bowls were exactly the same. And they kind of, so I stacked all the bowls together. And when you looked at it, it looked like three bowls. Because the, the two that were the same were so scrunched together. And I thought, as I was going up to the cashier, I thought to myself, you know, you know, she's pro- they're probably not going to notice that there's four bowls here. And I could easily get away with not only paying for three, you know. And, uh, and I guess the devil started working in my brain. And I'm like, well, you know, it wouldn't be my fault. It would have been the clerk's fault for not checking properly. And then I'm just, I'm, I'm like ashamed of my own thoughts. I'm just going like, what in the world am I thinking? Like, what, what is going on in my head? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. And I'm trying to rip off the store for 10 bucks worth of a bowl. I mean, like, come on. And, but you know what? It's insidious the way our brains work. We, we very easily, very quickly just try to justify stealing, lying, cheating, all these things. I mean, we may not be bank robbers, but stealing is definitely a thing that comes into play in our lives on a regular basis, whether it's doing our taxes or or I just got a notice for any repairs that I've done to my house because they want to up the up the taxes on, on our property. Uh, so this kind of thing is is common. Like, oh, well, no one's going to know if I did this much renovation or that much. Well, God's going to know. And the Bible's very clear. Thou shalt not steal. Greed and cover-up are everywhere. Americans were asked uh, how much they would would do for $10 million uh, in their book, uh, The Day Americans Told the Truth. Jim, James Patterson and Peter Kim reveal some shocking survey uh, 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 results. They say that for $10 million, a quarter of Americans would leave their fan, family. A quarter of Americans would abandon their faith. Uh, almost a quarter of Americans would, would be prostitutes for a week or more for $10 million. 16% would give up their U.S. citizenship. 16% would leave their spouses. And 7% would kill a stranger. It's amazing what greed does to our brains. Now, these are American statistics, right? Uh, in Canada, the numbers would probably be pretty similar. Well, except for this one. 16% would give up their American citizenship. I'm like, so there's less people who would give up their American citizenship than be willing to abandon their family or their faith or being a prostitute for a week? I'm like, what? Don't they know they can just move to Canada for $10 million? You know, you can live like a king here or somewhere else, you know. But no, you know, Americans are a little stuck on their nationalism, I guess. I don't know. In Canada, we just go like, oh, yeah, give up my Canadian. Yeah, they'd probably be like 50% or maybe 80%. I don't know. But, but the fact remains, 7% would kill somebody, murder somebody. What in the world? This is insane. The fact is that when a little lie will give you a big gain, Christians are very much tempted to do that. 
especially when we get caught with things. Like when I got caught with that candy, lying just came as natural as bread on butter. The point that we're making is that the commands don't, just knowing about the commands doesn't mean we don't do them or that we obey the commands. So we're going to touch on the motivation for keeping the commands in just a moment. But right now I'd like to deal with the second objection to preaching on the Ten Commandments. The second objection uh, really is that well, the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament. We don't, we don't follow the Old Testament anymore. I mean, we live in the time of grace. Jesus never lied or stole, so his, we receive his righteousness so that even if we did lie or steal, his righteousness covers us uh, through faith. So all the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. So why are you bringing up this Old Testament stuff? I mean, didn't Paul say that we're free from the law? Uh, free from the law of sin and death? Didn't Paul say that we're not under the law but under grace? Didn't Paul say that uh, we're, we're made, we're, you were made to die to the law? Didn't, didn't, uh, isn't the law only like a shadow of what's coming according to Hebrews chapter 1, 10 verse 1? Uh, and isn't it uh, now that apart from the law a righteousness of God has been manifest to us? Isn't righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Isn't it's being justified, a gift of his grace. Uh, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And Christ is the end of the law. For, and he's righteousness to everyone who believes. Don't I have a righteousness not derived from obeying the law, but one that's derived through faith in Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. It is from for freedom that Christ has set us free. And therefore... The Bible says, don't be subject to the yoke of slavery again. Aren't we looking at the Ten Commandments and kind of going like, well, this is going to enslave us again. We've got to obey these commandments, otherwise God will judge you. And that's just enslavement. So, you know, like, why are we talking about this? Um, Jesus abolished uh, in his flesh the enmity of the law, the commandments. The law, through the law, nothing's made perfect. So... Hallelujah, we're free. And all of that stuff I just quoted is all true. The law has no power to condemn us any longer. Praise God for that. And it's so freeing to realize that we are not under the law, but we're under grace. I mean, can you try to imagine to keep all of the Old Testament? I mean, we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments here. We're talking 613 commandments. That's how many commands there are in the Old Testament. Old Testament. Remember the last time you read through the book of Leviticus? Oh my, what a chore. I mean, I know it's God's word and we, we need to respect it, but I mean, there's laws for sacrifices, rules for farming, commands for clothing, priests, fe- feasts and festival days and offerings. There's commands for dealing with mold and sickness and morality, worship and on and on and on it goes. Aren't you glad we don't have to follow all these rules? I mean, the poor Israelites trying to obey all those rules must have been awful. 613 commands. Good grief. So awesome to live in the area, uh, in the time of grace. I mean, isn't there just one law now? Didn't Jesus say, a new commandment I give unto you, that you must love one another? As I've loved you, so you must love each other. I mean, that's a whole lot easier than obeying all those laws, don't you think? And, and, and Paul confirms it. He says, whoever's 
fulfills the law of love has fulfilled the whole law. So it's just like, hey, all we got to do is love people. This is amazing. Awesome. Instead of 613 laws, we got one. Love people. It's a pretty good deal. Oh, although, wasn't there two commandments about love? Because it wasn't just love people, but it was also that commandment about love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, two commandments. So we got two commandments. That's not too bad. We can live uh, by the two commandments, don't you think? Um, but then this week, uh, I was reading in my, in my personal devotions, I was reading through Ephesians. And uh, I started noticing that Paul was kind of quoting, or he was challenging the Ephesians, but some of the things he was challenging the Ephesians with were really the Ten Commandments. I mean, in, in Ephesians 5, verse 5, he said, For this you know, that no, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So you got uh, the covetous man. Well, that's talking about commandment num- number 10, don't covet. And the adulterer, that's kind of covering commands 1 and 2 uh, about not having other gods and not making graven images. Uh, and, then, and then in Ephesians 4, 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Well, unwholesome talk covers commandment number 3, don't swear in God's name. Uh, and then uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Uh, that's commandment number five, pretty much verbatim. Um, then there's, do not be angry, or, or be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, Ephesians 4, 26. That's pretty much what Jesus said commandment number six was all about when he talked about do not murder, and then talked about being angry is the same deal. Then in, in uh, Ephesians 5, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanliness and, or covetousness, uh, let not even be mentioned among you as is, fitting with, as is fitting for the saints. Well, fornication, that's kind of covering adultery, don't you think? Uh, commandment number seven. And of course, we're talking about covetousness. Commandment number 10 again. Uh, and then uh, in uh, 4 verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. Rather, let him labor working with his hands for what is good, that he might have something to give him who has need. Hmm, that's pretty much the one we're talking about today, isn't it? <laughs> Do not steal. Uh, and then uh, in verse 25, he says, Therefore put away lying. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Hmm, yeah, that pretty much covers num- uh, commandment number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Hmm, seems like the Ten Commandments are still in effect after all, isn't it? These are all in the New Testament. These are all for believers. And then the strangest thing happened. After I had read about this passage in my personal devotions, then we read the exact same text for our family devotions. That's actually never happened before, that my personal devotions and our family devotions were exactly the same. Uh, And so actually from that passage, I chose today's passage that we want to talk about and kind of decipher what it is, what... How, how do we? How are we exempt from the law? It seems like all of Paul's teachings and John's that says you know the law is no longer in effect, and then yet we end up with the laws being given to us. Like, how does this work? So um, 
let's let's uh, open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, and uh, let's read this passage. Ephesians 4, verse 22. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful nature. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like a command. You were taught to put off your old self and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Oh, that seems like a command too, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And number three, to, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, there's three commands right there in two verses. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak the truth. There's another command to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. That's another command. Do not let the sun go down on, on your wrath. That's another command too. And do not give the devil a foothold. That sounds like a command too. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. That's like two commands. Don't steal, do work. Do, do something useful with his own hands that he might have something to share with those in need. Wow, seems to be a lot of commands here. Do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Another command. But only that which is helpful, building each other's up according to their need, that, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Wow. I don't know about you, but it seems like there's more than just one or two commands in the New Testament. In fact, it seems like there's the Ten Commandments are right there. I mean, we just read 12 commandments in eight verses. So I went to the Internet, and I got a list of all the commandments in the New Testament. And it wasn't just a page or two pages or even ten pages there was 23 pages of New Testament commandments. There's over a thousand commands. That's like way more than the Old Testament. I thought the Old Testament was full of commands. The New Testament has way more. I'm like, what? Why are there so many commands if we're, we're supposed to live by grace? No, my, no wonder some believers fall into legalism. If there's a thousand commands... They read their Bibles and they just go like, well, God is still commanding me to do this, so I better do it. So let's go to this text and try to make heads or tails of this whole, you know, which part of the law are we supposed to obey? And do we just obey all the stuff in the New Testament and not the stuff in the Old Testament? How does this work? Well, the interesting thing is that it's not, it's not the same concepts. The New Testament, the concept of obedience is very different than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the concept of obedience was you got to obey because if you don't obey, you're going to be punished. There's going to be all kinds of bad stuff happening to you. And if you do obey, all kinds of good stuff's going to happen to you. You're going to have all kinds of blessings. God's going to dump glorious blessings on you. But in the New Testament, there's something changed because of the death of Christ. And let's start with the first few verses here. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new. So, so there's, there's this, this idea. That, well, let me go through all three. So 
to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is the idea of putting off something that causes us to be evil, putting that aside. And then there's this changing of our attitude of our mind. You know, the changing of our attitude of our mind actually takes a lot of time. It takes reading the Bible. It takes God's Spirit working in us. And then putting on the new self. This is something we actively participate with God in. Putting on this new person that we have. God has given us a new nature. You see, when we were born again, when we believed in Jesus Christ, and uh, we gave our sins over to him and he died on the cross for our sins what happens is god gave us his nature in second uh, peter chapter one it talks about the nature of god being given to us and that we can participate in the divine nature to escape the judgment on the world and so there's this whole idea in the bible that god gives us a new mindset a new understanding of how to do things um, and so as, as we follow this through in our passage, and I, I don't have it, well, next slide. On the next slide, it kind of shows that in, the, in, the, in verses 25 to 29, that actually the falsehood, the anger, and the stealing, and the unwholesome talk, these are all things that we must put off. These are all part of that process of dumping, get, getting rid of the old nature. It's just like, put that off, get rid of it. It's not who you are any longer. There's a new nature, and it doesn't contain any of these things. Um, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, is kind of a goldmine of comparison of the old life under the law and the new life facilitated by God's forgiving grace. Um, and so uh, under the old covenant, it says in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, it says, under the old covenant, the priests stood before the altar day after day offering sacrifices that can never take away sins. But our priest, high priest, offer himself as one sacrifice for sins, for good, for all time. You see, Jesus offered himself to wipe away sins. And then later on in that same chapter, it says, this is a new covenant. I will make with my people in those days. So this is actually quoting from the Old Testament, says the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts so that they will understand them. I will write them on their minds so that they will obey them. And then he adds, I will never remember their, sinless, their sins and their lawless deeds. And so the idea is that the new nature actually imprints the concepts from the Bible the laws of the Bible, on our hearts so that we are a law to ourselves. It's like we have, we have a judge inside of us saying, no, no, don't do that, do this. It's like, like, a, like someone telling us to do right all the time. Uh, the psalmist says, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. That was the desire in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we actually receive the nature of God by his Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us. And so we, our, our whole uh, nature has been changed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For, listen to this, it's God who works in you both to will, so both to desire, and to do, 
and to act in accordance with God's will. These are the things that, that God brings out in us. The, the new, in the new nature that Christians have, the law is uh, it's just obvious. It's there. Now, if you go in your Bibles to, to Galatians chapter 5, um, he talks about living by the Spirit. And he says, you know, um, I say live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is the command. This is how we put on the new self. It's actually keeping step with the Holy Spirit as he is guiding us through life. It's a powerful thing. And um, he, he, may, he gives a whole list of the things that we're supposed to put off, the things of the old nature. He says the, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, debauchery, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. And as I warned you before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. He's saying, yeah, but that, that's because that's all part of the old nature. That's the part that you, you dump. You get rid of all that stuff. And that's what the Holy Spirit in us naturally does. He gets rid of the, all the, the obvious uh, immorality of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, see what the Holy Spirit comes in our life to give us is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are all the things that are part of God's nature. God's nature actually comes into us and we start behaving with the nature of God. It's kind of natural. Um, and so he says at the end of this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, if you want to keep having love and joy and peace and patience and kindness instead of dissensions and factions and, and uh, immorality and all that stuff, if you want to keep that up, well, you actually have to keep up with the Holy Spirit. You have to actually walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means living dependent on the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you get up in the morning, thanking God for the day, connecting with God right away, connecting with God all throughout the day. When the, and when the Spirit speaks, hey, don't do that, you pay attention. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Spirit speaking. Like when the Spirit chastised me for even thinking that I should try to get one of those bowls for free. I mean, then I listen to the Spirit, you know? Um, and so our time is, is virtually up. So I want us to just go back to our passage for one more verse, and that's verse 30, um, because this is probably the most important verse of all the whole passage. It says this, um, Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, God has given us his Holy Spirit. And it's like a, it's like a, a letter stamp. You, you know how in the old, olden days they used to have letters and they'd fold them over and then they'd, they'd put a, a big hunk of wax on them and put a seal on it. And maybe the emperor or the king puts a seal on it. And that means, hey, this is an official letter from the king. And so it is with us. God has put in his Holy Spirit in us. That, that new nature is in us. And any Christian who's been a Christian for any length of time realizes 
that there's kind of this new nature that's at war with the old nature inside them. And so when you have that war going on, you can be sure that you have a new nature. That in fact, God is involved in your life. And that you've been sealed and that you will be redeemed. That Christ's blood has washed you of all your sins. And now you might say, yeah, but there's a war going on. Sometimes I, I don't listen to the Spirit. Sometimes I listen to my sinful nature and end up doing what is wrong. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we listen to the old nature. But we are still sealed for the day of redemption. And so the... the um, the reason we ob- we're obedient to the Ten Commandments, the reason we still obey all these thousands of, of commands in the New Testament where we try to obey them, not because we're trying to be legalistic and earning our salvation. No, we're already sealed for the day of salvation. That's already completed. We do it because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. The It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He gave up His entire life just for us on that cross. And when we sin, do the very things that cause Him to to go to the cross, we grieve Him. He's like, oh, my child, you did it again. And He's upset with us. It grieves Him. And he's in pain. It's like we show no regard for the incredible sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And we just go, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to go off and sin. You know, that day when my mom caught me with the stolen goods, you know, the, the worst part was not fessing up to the store clerk. The worst part of that day was the look on my mom's face when she realized that her son was a thief and that her son was lying to cover it up. That brought shame and grief into my heart and life. I had disappointed my mom so badly. You know, she never punished me other than making me take it back. There was no punishment. But I'm telling you, that sorrow in her voice when she challenged me, I'll never forget that. It was grief. I grieved her. And you know what? We grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we move outside of the commands that God has given us. Those commands are for our own good. They're for His kingdom so that He might be glorified. And He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. In other words, the Holy Spirit in us has given us the ability to say no to temptation. The Bible says there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. And God will provide a way of escape. So there's no reason to sin. God, by His Spirit, provides a way to escape. When we sin, we grieve Him. And that's the motivation for living up to the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. So let me just pray for us today as we endeavor to live by the Spirit and not by obedience to the law or by following all, you know, striking off all the various laws. In fact, that's why Jesus says, you know, that the Christian goes far beyond the laws because the law's in our heart. We 
We go far beyond what the Old Testament calls us to do. Do not murder. We don't even get angry. Do not commit adultery. We don't even look at a woman. Do not do these other things. We don't do them because they're not part of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that although we have the Spirit, we have not attained perfection. We desire to, Lord. Our desire is to not grieve you at all. We are so shamed, Lord, by the grief we cause your name. And I'm so sorry, Lord, for the times I've failed you. I really am. And the times where I just looked upon your sacrifice as though with contempt, as I did my own thing. Lord, I'm so sorry. But Lord, I thank you that you wash us white as snow. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep my conscience sharp, that it would never get seared as with a hot iron. So, Lord, that I would be obedient to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill all of us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to live that holy life before you. And, Lord, that these, these things like not lying and not stealing would just be totally second nature to us. And so, Lord, we commit all this into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.